When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That was our first experience with an unpassable section of the Appia. We were with Ricardo at that point. Ricardo told us the path is not clear, so probably we have to cross the river, but let's see. <laughs> Writer Nina Strolik and photographer Andrea Frazetta are remembering a day on assignment for National Geographic. They were in the Urpinia area of southern Italy, following the ancient path of the Appian Way. The guide they're talking about? His name is Riccardo Carnavalini. He's known as the most famous walker in Italy. And so we we followed Riccardo for a while. And he took us down uh, this path and to the banks of this river. And we could see that there had been a bridge there at one point. I suppose the, the Appian Way used to, to cross the, the river f- with that bridge. So there they are with the most famous walker in Italy. And they're traveling one of the most famous roads in all of human history, the Via Appia, or as it's called in English, the Appian Way. It's the site of crucifixions, catacombs, and military conquest, where St. Peter said he saw a vision of Jesus Christ himself. But standing on the bank of the river that day, Nina and Andrea weren't quite sure where the road was. There was no way to go to the other side of the river. Ricardo took off his shoes and socks and, you know, threw them over his shoulder and rolled up his pants and just walked across this river. (laughs) So are you comfortable admitting the fact that you're not much of a walker? I like to wander. I'm definitely not a walker or a hiker or any athletic version of that term. <laughs> Neither Mia or Nina were that kind of super fit walkers. Let's, I have to confess that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They were on assignment to travel along a very old, very long road. And they weren't big walkers. I'm not sure what Ricardo expected of us, but... I'm fairly certain that we were much slower and less athletic than his lowest expectations. (laughs) We were forced to to leave our shoes and to to cross the water. It was beautiful because also it's that kind of moment when you you finally connect yourself with with the element. I remember it was very nice. The name of the river is Calore, which means hot. (laughs) So (laughs) it was a very cold river with with the wrong name. We crossed the river. It was slippery, but in the end also was not that deep. But we did it and we felt very accomplished. It was a nice moment because it's something unexpected and something that pushes you in a direction that you haven't seen before. Andrea and Nina would encounter many moments like this traveling the Appian Way, just as travelers have for millennia. 
This road has run like a spine through Italy since construction began in 312 BC. It's the site of countless stories, both epic and everyday, ancient and modern. According to Andrea, it's a road where an unexpected encounter will take you deeper into its particular character. And when you just meet someone on the road, you feel this kind of connection. I don't know why it's something that I cannot explain. But along the Appia, Andrea would come to understand why this connection was so strong. Andrea grew up in Italy and is based in Milan. This trip brought him out of a long period of quarantine during the pandemic and out onto the Regina Viarum, the Queen of Roads. There, he would reconnect to his identity as an Italian as the road has always connected Italians, from north to south and also to the past. It provided Andrea with the spontaneity of traveling along a well-worn path. It's the place where you have to go to find the stories of people. We're going to hear some of those stories today, told by the road itself. The sounds along the Appia create their own portrait of this ancient highway. They can help us understand the identity of an often forgotten path that, like Andrea's past, is sometimes missing altogether, but is longing to be found again. I'm Marcy Thompson, and this is Overheard at National Geographic, a show where we eavesdrop on the wild conversations we have here at Nat Geo and follow them to the edges of our big, weird, beautiful world. We're taking a sonic trek down the Appian Way, because while this road may be known for iconic ancient Roman features, breathtaking landscapes, and scenes of modern Italian life, it's also a place with a very specific soundscape. And those sounds tell their own story about the Appian Way. More after the break. But before that, please consider a National Geographic subscription. That's the best way to support Overheard and to ensure we can keep providing you with the stories from the edges of our big, weird, beautiful world. Go to natgeo.com slash explore more to subscribe. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I remember the night perfectly. It was, was a very, very nice evening, you know. The temperature was perfect, and there is this tiny little trattoria near the, the beginning of the Appia. And, and we are in the heart of Rome. 
It's a really quiet place. It's very different from all the other touristic places in Rome. And then so we had our dinner and then we decided to have this first stroll on the Appian Way. Everything was already dark. I remember there were stars and the crickets. It's a place where you feel the time is suspended. It's true, it's a really magic place. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. It's used so often, it's almost lost its meaning. But for a very long time, that phrase was a literal fact. The ambitious Roman Empire had a knack for audacious engineering, aqueducts, coliseums, and my personal favorite, heated floors. But their most enduring legacy may have been figuring out the best way to get from here to there. And so, the modern road was born. At the height of their power, Romans could travel along a network of hundreds of roads running more than 200,000 miles, a quarter of which were paved. The Appia was the first, and it's been in use ever since. The Appia was the brainchild of a Roman censor named Appius Claudius. He summoned the resources of the Roman Empire to plot the Appia's course, a mammoth task completed without so much as a tractor. Of course, it was originally for the military to use, but it was a thoroughfare across the country. So people were doing business along the Appia and it was organized for them to, to make that journey. The Appia ran from Rome to Brindisium, now called Brindisi, which sits on the eastern side of Italy's boot, right about where a spur would be. Each one of its roughly 360 miles was a testament to Rome's power. It was a vital artery that ensured the growth of the empire. Plus, it was a pretty nice way to travel in those days. A traveler would find a station to swap out their horses every 10 miles, a guest house every 20 miles. You could assume a tavern, somewhere to get water and food scattered throughout that stretch as well. It sounds like a very civilized version of a modern day turnpike. But now, more than 2,300 years later, the Appia is no longer well organized for travelers. You will not find a guest house every 20 miles. So the entirety of the Appian Way is not a travel destination. If someone were to be dropped along the path of the Appian Way right now, what would they see? They might be dropped in the middle of a lovely forested path with the stones of the Appia clearly visible. They may be dropped on the side of a highway. They may be dropped next to an industrial steel plant. They may be dropped in a lovely town plaza. And sometimes there's no Appia at all. In fact, if you're looking for the very beginning of this once powerful road, you won't find it. This is what you'll find instead. There is no beginning to the Appia currently because they don't know where the road actually started originally. 
The umbilicus orbis that was once the beginning of all of Rome's ancient roads has been paved over so many times, it's no longer visible. For now, there's mile marker one, which is on the side of an extremely busy road where there's no sidewalk. And that kind of threw me in the beginning as well because I thought, how are we following this road? We don't even know where to begin. Fortunately, a short bus ride away from this chaotic site, the Appia is very much intact and in its original glory. This is the Appian Way Regional Park, where we heard the crickets a moment ago. But during the day, you might hear horses like these clomping along on its basalt stones, as they have for thousands of years. The scene was beautiful, and I remember that it was difficult for me to frame. I decided to go just for one horse and one person that was striking me because, visually because he was riding this white horse. And then I found out he, was, he used to be a politician in Rome and he decided to quit everything and just follow his passion and he just came into the Appian Way and, he's not, and now he's managing horses. It's a kind of an Appian story. I found that on the road during this trip, a lot of these kind of stories of like a person attracted by the, the road and they're living along the path. They're, you know, probably something you always uh, find when you are traveling or, or walking on a road. There is part of the Appian Way uh, where the, the path is very less evident. You, you, you just lose yourself in the field. Once you lose yourself in the fields and the Appia disappears, good luck. There is no Google map to save you. So you, you need a guide. For Nina and Andrea, that was the gentleman who waded across the very cold river without hesitation, Riccardo Carnivalini. And how did Ricardo find his way? He's the traveling companion of the man who is working to put the Appia back on the map, literally. Paolo Rumitz, an intrepid Italian journalist. I, I think it's, it's the Appian Way ambassador. Paolo Rumitz was inspired to walk the entire Appian Way in 2015 after reading a satire by Horace, written in about 35 BC. Rumitz had his work cut out for him. I had to overcome many obstacles because the road had been completely forgotten by Italians. Via Appia is a symbol of national cohesion because it connects the north to the south and also offers the southern populations who have always felt marginalized a legend that puts them at the heart of the Mediterranean basin. Rumitz and Carnivalini undertook the epic journey with a goal in mind unearthing the Appia as part of the Italian consciousness. It was both a physical and poetic undertaking. At times, the only way they knew where they were going was to, quote, feel the Appia under their feet. Carnivalini believes the only way the Appia can be truly appreciated is by walking it. What does it mean to be the most famous walker in Italy? Is that something that most people can understand? 
I think that his life goal is to preserve these outdoor experiences in his country. He's been doing this for 40 plus years since he was in his 20s. And I think he has this idea that if people start following this path, there'll, there'll be no other option than for it to be conserved in some way. The question is, is conserving a path that has been declining since the end of the Roman Empire almost as hard as building it in the first place? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. The opening shot of Federico Fellini's 1960 film La Dolce Vita features a soccer field next to a towering aqueduct built by those ingenious ancient Romans. It's a classic sight. It also happens to be along the Appian Way. So at one point, I discovered this little soccer field near the aqueduct. Uh, and I saw these young uh, players uh, just training. You see every time this overlapping between history and daily life. It's like the most interesting aspect of this place. There, there is always this kind of ancient background and they, uh, everyday daily life of the Romans. And the scene was very beautiful. My first thought was, I want to play here. Just pass me the ball, please. I want to play with you. I used this, the exact same frame of Federico Fellini for uh, taking my pictures. It's exactly that scene. And that's amazing because really it's like history repeating and also it was so Italian. How does walking through a place help you to experience that place differently? And if you were on a train or on a bike, what are you meant to experience on foot? I think on foot you have no choice but to deal with what's right in front of you. So you're really fully immersed. And if some sort of hurdle arises, you have to deal with it yourself. You have to roll up your pants and walk over the river when the bridge is, is bombed out. I mean, walking is essential for, for a photographer. So I just want to lose myself in the landscape. So, uh, and the only way to do that is walking because you have the, um, all the time to, to understand visually what are you doing. 
Allow me to introduce you to one of the oldest walkers of the Appia, shepherds, and of course, sheep. When you start to, to work on a, on a visual project, you also have in mind the kind of scenes that you, you, that you would like to have. And that was exactly one of that, the shepherds on the Appian Way. It's really in the DNA of this, this road, because the road is very well connected with the, the countryside. Now, you in this really modern city, you can just see shepherds coming with hundreds of sheep. And so when I saw that scene that morning, I instantly thought I, I need this picture, so I was just jump, jump in the middle of the of the herd, and then uh, they were very friendly. So I just enjoyed myself, and I tried to do some really close-up photography. In the province of Avellino, just east of Naples, Nina and Andrea passed by another common sight along the Appia: farmers. We came upon this beautiful stone farmhouse that happened to be occupied by these three elderly brothers, Luigi, Giuseppe, and Giovanni. The youngest is 80, the eldest is 88. So when they told me their grandfather had bought the house, they said it was probably in the late 1800s. It's interesting to me if you fix. If you don't, in the building, because nobody lives in, it's a lot of uh, rats. You know, because in, uh, no, nobody's there. No and they talked about life along the Appia and how forgotten they feel their stretches. We're supposed to fix. Yeah, they would be very, very surprised to see tourists walking on the road outside their house. But they also had great retellings of the sort of urban legends around the Appia and ancient Rome. The Appia has a food story all its own. This is Italy, after all. While Andrea and Nina made their way, along with Andrea's assistant, Luca, you could say they became a little obsessed with this aspect of their assignment. Our trip was punctuated by Andrea and Luca telling me that I must try every regional delicacy of every place we were in because it would be the greatest thing I'd ever eaten in my entire life. And then you are just going through Campania where you have this incredible mozzarella, deep fried zucchini flowers you are crossing through the fields rice. and you you can just eat the fruit from the trees they have this pastry called rustico and it's like bechamel sauce and cheese it's a journey it was the best thing ever in the middle of the italian uh, culinary tradition so good it's so gooey and so rich and then you arrive to the sea you have the fish, fish. and shrimps and little lobsters and i will suggest to somebody to do to do uh, an appian way map just with food food related cheeses you know? and vegetables and stuffed ourselves every meal was an occasion for <laughs> for giving a kind of culinary lesson. A week after that trip, 
I sat down at a cafe and my jeans just ripped up the back. <laughs> so. <laughs> Paolo Rumitz wrote a book about his trip with Ricardo Carnavalini. It's called Appia, published in 2017. It allowed a new generation of Italians to begin thinking seriously about the Appia. Some wonder if it's just another archaeological artifact that will stand in the way of progress, while many others believe it's a cultural gem, grown over in places but full of promise and in need of restoration. Rumitsa's writing also got the attention of the Ministry of Cultural Heritage, who has earmarked 20 million euros to preserve the Appia. But it's a long road, literally, to make the Appia whole again. And it may be that getting people to walk the Appia is the key to its future. Riccardo Carnovalini told this, uh, walking is the most political act you can do to change a landscape, or to save a landscape, or to save an heritage. But as Nina and Andrea traveled the Appia, they met only one person walking its entire length. And it isn't yet clear what kind of walk the Appian Way is. It's not a religious journey like the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which draws up to 300,000 visitors a year. But could it be? So what are the walkers called? Are they called pilgrims? Are they called travelers? Who takes that kind of walk? That's a good question. I've been trying to figure this out. Could someone on a journey that has nothing to do with religion be called a pilgrim? I think everyone walking the Appia probably has their own reason and their own ideas of why they're doing it and what they want to get out of it. But once you've reached it, you hope to have discovered something, be it about yourself, about Italy, whatever it may be. We were wandering along the Appian Way in a stretch between the castle of Montesarico, which is a castle in Irpinia, and the city of Gravina in Puglia, which is a wonderful city carved in the stones. I remember it was a rainy day, a grey day. There was no one on the road and we were walking down the road looking for a farmhouse where we had been told they, they were giving hospitality to the, to the Appian Way walkers and we found it closed. <laughs> and then we stopped near an abandoned house. The, the feelings uh, from that moment remains with me because um, there were this kind of a nostalgic feeling of abandonment. And, and that, that's a, a rare condition in southern Italy because it's not easy to find yourself uh, in a place where you feel so far away from, uh, from everything. At the port city of Toronto, which is located along the arch of Italy's boot, the Appia takes a hard turn east before setting off on its final leg. This city, which was founded by the Greeks, predates the Appia by about 400 years. Most people don't really realize that it passes areas that are quite off the beaten path for tourists, of course, but also for Italians. So where I live in New Jersey, it would be like taking a stroll near the refineries along the turnpike. Not something I would want to do. But of course, the Yapia does pass through a really industrial area in Toronto. Yeah, it was such 
an interesting and bizarre place. Suddenly you're alongside this gigantic industrial steel processing plant. You, you can't even imagine the scale. The plant is the Ilva Steelworks. For more than half a century, it has been one of Italy's most prolific industrial producers. It employs more than 11,000 people, but it has taken a very heavy toll on the surrounding area in the form of devastatingly high cancer levels. The mayor of Toronto has described it as a massacre. You can feel the, the, the presence of this industrial monster because you, you, you can see it in the sky, you can see the, you can hear the, 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 the noise, but also you can see it in the face of the people of Toronto because they are living in this kind of dramatic uh, city, which is dramatically beautiful, but also dramatically uh, polluted, uh, destructive. Yes. Andrea also described Toronto as dramatically beautiful because not too much farther along the Appia is the rest of Toronto, which sits on a little island just offshore in the Mediterranean. I love Toronto. It's really, it's a super beautiful city. It was so charming. There were docks with fishermen and boats coming in and out all day. I remember the early morning when all these fishermen are coming back uh, after the night on the sea, and also the old city uh, waking up. It truly felt like a real authentic look at life in Italy, almost like a time-traveling opportunity. This is not the kind of travel that allow you to, to see the postcard of Italy. This is real Italy. So you are going through the beauty, the extreme beauty, but also the ugliness. The Appian Way reaches its final destination in Brindisi, a city that has special meaning for Andrea Frazzetta. It's where his grandfather was born. And Andrea was born just south of here in Lecce. This is the Piazza Mercato, a vegetable market in Brindisi. It's been a part of life here for more than a century. And then I found the market and all, all these colors and also, you know, also the sounds because uh, in, uh, in all those parts of Italy they speak a different kind of Italian. I also uh, heard again the sound of the, the Italians from my grandfather. So that was also part of my feeling of going back home. Because Andrea lives in Milan now, far from Brindisi, this became a moment of clarity for him. So it was important returning for me. On this final stretch of the Appia, Andrea realized that this road had transformed something inside of him. I have to confess at the beginning I was attracted by the visual possibilities because it's a beautiful trip. Uh, you can already imagine the, the kind of picture you are going to do. But then I understood that this is not only a, a beautiful journey, it's, it's a really important matter for my country because it's the road that connects the heart of the country with the south. So in a kind of way, it became suddenly a personal story, a story of coming back home, a story of a really forgotten heritage. And so 
suddenly uh, an excuse for a beautiful journey became uh, a kind of mission. Andrea stood at the bottom of the steps that end at the Adriatic Sea and captured a timeless moment in the form of a photograph. A young couple in each other's arms at the end of the ancient road. And you have this column at the top of a uh, huge steps. That's this, the symbolic end of the Appian Wave. And that night I just spent looking at the stairs, looking at the columns, and at, at one point I had this couple of younger kissing each other was romantic. <laughs> it was a kind of alignment. I had the love, I have the column, I had the moon <laughs> on the same line. Something that um, Ricardo Carnavalini said that I read in translation, the Appian Way is for the people who walk it. It's not for the ones who rediscovered it. It's not for the archaeologists. But who walks the Appian Way is the owner of the Appian Way, the emperor of the Appian Way. And what do you think of this idea? That's amazing, that's beautiful, yeah. The, I'm agree, I'm agree totally, totally, yeah. And now I own a part of that, <laughs> You see the value of the walking of it is that somehow it becomes yours. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, that's the kind of feeling you really have. At the end of traveling along his Appian Way, on the shore of the Adriatic, Andrea made a final connection. As he looked out at the water, Greece was only about a hundred miles away. From the, the first steps on the Appian Way, I felt this goal of reaching the sea, which probably was the original intention of the Romans, no? reaching the, the, the shores and the sea, and then the east beyond the sea. Although he hadn't started out as much of a walker, the many miles he had traveled brought Andrea through the transformative power of this road. He had finally arrived at an understanding of what it means to be a part of a place, his place. Then I turned my camera to the sea and uh, uh, taking just the waves, you know, crashing, it, it was a kind of final <laughs> ceremony for me to, 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 to end the trip I made with my, with my camera. If you like what you hear and want to support more content like this, please rate and review us in your podcast app and consider a National Geographic subscription. You'll get exclusive access to stories published daily curated newsletters, and 130 years of archives. Subscribe today at natgeo.com slash explore more. Nina Strolik and Andrea Frazetta's Appian Way trip is featured in the July issue of National Geographic magazine. You can find out more about what's being done to restore the road in those pages and feast your eyes on Andrea's photographs. Paolo Rumitz's book, Appia, will take you on a trip down the Regina Viara but you'll need to read it in Italian because it hasn't been translated yet. Until then, you can check out Horace's account of traveling the Appia. He's the first century BC satirist that inspired Grumitz. It's translated and it's very funny. Long before Google Maps, there was the Putinger Table, one of the most complete maps of the Roman world and its roads, made in 1265. 
The original is in Vienna. It's about 22 feet long, but you can see it online. All of this and more can be found in our show notes. They're right there in your podcast app. Overheard is produced by Kyrie Douglas and Ilana Strauss. Our senior producers are Brian Gutierrez and Jacob Pinter. Our senior editor is Eli Chen. Our manager of audio is Carla Wills. Our executive producer of audio is Devar Ardalan. This episode was fact-checked by Caitlin Etherton. Ted Woods sound designed this episode. Ansel Sue composed our theme music. This podcast is a production of National Geographic Partners. Whitney Johnson is the Director of Visuals and Immersive Experiences. Nathan Lump is National Geographic's Editor-in-Chief. And I'm Marcy Thompson, host and producer of this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening.